My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Turn in your Bibles if you didn't keep them there, open there. Turn to Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Sue, I've been listening to you sing for 35 years, and it never gets old. So thank you. And what a beautiful song. You're right. The words of that song were beautiful. Last week, Paul ended his defense of his credentials and why he was saying to the Galatians, you should listen to me rather than those who came behind me. You should listen to me. And we can go back and listen to that message as to why he defended why they should listen to him. But in case you missed last week, let me tell you the difference between what Paul was saying and, and what these other men that came behind him were saying. So some Jewish believers in Messiah Jesus thought that to be right with God one still needed to keep the laws and commandments that God had given in the covenant that he made with Israel at Sinai. So they would say something like this, unless you commit to keeping the first covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai, unless you're willing to do that, then trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life just isn't enough. You have to submit also to the first covenant. We, uh, Paul was saying, no, you don't. Paul was saying, it's just Jesus. It's trusting in the death, life, death, burial of, of Jesus, not the things of the first covenant. We've often heard the difference between Paul and those men to be something like this. They believed that righteousness was achieved by being moral. I don't know if you've heard this. I mean, all my life I've taught this. All my life I've heard this. They believed that to be righteous with God, you had to be moral and you had to live a certain morality in order to be accepted by God. And Paul was saying, no, righteousness comes through Jesus, not by living a certain morality. That is not exactly true. That is not what the distinction is here. The distinction is, and these people believe that you are righteous by Jesus, but you still had to keep the command, you still had to keep the first covenant that God made with, uh, with Israel and all the laws that went along with that. After all they taught, they, after all they said this, they taught Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He was the son of David. So they believed you needed to be committed to Judaism first and put your faith in Jesus as Messiah. So they taught you needed to keep the Jewish laws like circumcision and eating only certain foods and trimming your beard a certain way and not getting a tattoo and, and keeping the Sabbath in a way that God had prescribed, etc. On and on and on it went. Uh, 613 laws of the Torah. But Paul came along and he believed that Jesus was doing something new. Now, now listen carefully, listen carefully, because I'm challenging, I, I think, some preconceived ideas here. This is making me right, but I just want you to listen anyway and see if you can track what I'm saying. Paul believed that Jesus was doing something different, that, that he was fulfilling the promises that God had made to Abraham. And in fulfilling those promises to Abraham, he was also at the same time, time putting an end to the Torah. And he was putting an end to the Sinai covenant that God made with Israel. And he's making a new covenant, a new covenant that will be 
with Jews and Gentiles, regardless of your heritage. And he's going to explain to the Galatians why he believes this to be true. Now, we've already touched on some of it last week, and I went over my notes this morning, my notes from last week, and realized I'm going to say a lot of the same things again today. I guess that's because you didn't get it. So uh, that was a joke. Um, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be repeating some of the things I said last week. But I want you to see three arguments. We're only going to go through verse 14. I, I had Keith, I asked Keith to read the whole chapter because the second part of chapter 3 is, is, is continuing these arguments. But we're not going to get to that today. We're only going to go through verse 14 today. And there's three arguments that he's going to make. This is why, this is Paul's argument. This is why I'm telling you guys, Galatians, that you do not need to keep the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai. It has been done away with, and there's a new covenant now. She so gives three arguments. Here's the first one. The first argument is from their own experience. So chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus the Messiah was publicly portrayed as crucified? Paul begins, doesn't mince any words. He says, guys, you are foolish. He even accuses them of having a spell cast over them. How can you possibly believe what these men have said when, and, and I'm going to put some words in here, when Paul says, I so clearly demonstrated to you how Jesus the Messiah was crucified and died for you. How, how, did somebody put a spell on you that you are now rejecting what I so clearly presented to you? Verse 2, Paul asked this question. I only want to learn this from you. And this is a rhetorical. All these are going to be rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question that you ask that doesn't need an answer because the answer is so obvious, right? So verse 2, he says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by, the, by doing the first covenant laws and works. Did you do it? Did you receive the Spirit by that or by believing what you heard? Asked another way, he would say, he might say it like this. Hey, did God pour out his Spirit upon you guys when you started obeying the, the Sinai commandments after believing in Jesus? Or did he pour out the Spirit on you guys when you began, when you believed what I told you about Jesus? And the rhetorical answer is, it was when you believed, not when you did anything. I didn't even preach to you the laws of the Sinai covenant. It was when you believed in Jesus that God poured out his spirit upon you. Then verse 3, he asked them again. He says, are you, or he makes a statement, ask another question. Are you so foolish? Verse 3, after beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? In other words, having begun by trusting in Jesus, having been given the spirit of God in your lives, are you now going to go back and finish this whole thing by trying to, by your actions, merit God's favor by keeping laws? After you've started by faith through the Holy Spirit, apart from law-keeping, he's basically saying, do you now believe that God wants you to go forward by going backwards and keeping the commandments of the Sinai Covenant? That's his rhetorical question to them. Verse 4, another one. Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness? Again, there's that rhetorical question. Was everything that happened to you for nothing? 
The implication being that if they go back now and try to add Judaism or try to add the covenant that God made with the Jewish folks there in, uh, at Mount Sinai, if they go back and add that, basically everything he taught them, he says, is for nothing. When did God pour out his spirit on you and do miracles? Can somebody give me some water? I'm having a hard time. Sorry. Uh, when did God pour out his spirit on you and do miracles? Now, here's the implication. Don't miss it. Don't miss the implication. God did miracles among them when they believed in Jesus, and he gave them their spirit, and they experienced this work of the spirit. They experienced Jesus in a tangible way. So their faith led to some sort of tangible experience with God. Now, this was pretty common then. Maybe, maybe it's more common today uh, in, in other circles. But, but here's, what, here's what happens. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, this Roman centurion who believes in God. He tells him about Jesus. He's an uncircumcised Gentile, and he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit so that it's visible and evident. And Peter would later argue, he would say, guys, the, if, God would give, if God would give to Cornelius, thank you, Mike. If God would give to Cornelius uh, this gift of the Spirit because he believed, then how can we say God's not giving his Spirit to the Gentiles? So that was Cornelius. When the Samaritans believed, they received miracles and all kinds of things happened to substantiate what was happening to them. And obviously here in Galatia, when Paul went through Iconium and Lystra and all those different cities, there were miracles that they experienced when they believed in Jesus. And now, now Paul is asking them rhetorically, when did God give you the miracles? When did God do all that supernatural stuff? Did he do it when you started keeping the, the commandments of the Sinai co covenant, like circumcision? Hey, did he give you, did he do miracles when you changed your diet and started eating only certain animals and not eating this? Did, did he give you that when you uh, stopped hanging around other Gentiles? When did, he, when did he give you the miracles? It wasn't when you started obeying the Sinai covenant. It was when you believed on the Lord Jesus. Us. Then he adds this illustration. Remember, this is just his first argument, and it's from, it's from uh, their experience. He says, or was it like when Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? And the obvious answer, it was like when Abraham believed. When you believed, God worked powerfully in your life. So that's his first argument. This launches him, to, launches him into his second argument. And again, his argument is that it's not by keeping the first covenant. The covenant it is by faith in Jesus, not by this, this covenant that Moses gave on Mount Sinai. It's not by that at all, he says. And he uses Abraham as an example. And he says, he makes some radical statements about Abraham. So statements that any Jew, most Jews, especially Jewish leaders, they would have soundly rejected. And here's the first statement he makes. He says, those who are by faith... They are the sons of Abraham. Verse 7. 
You know then that those who have faith, these are the sons of Abraham, or these are Abraham's sons. Now, most Jews would have vehemently argued with that, and they would have said, that is not true. Abraham's sons are only by biology. They're only because they're of the seed of Abraham. And if you descended from Abraham, you are his son. But if you weren't descended from Abraham, you're not his son. And many Jews in this day would have said, and if you're not descended from Jacob, you're not a true child of Abraham. So if you're of Esau's line, you're really not a son of Abraham. But here Paul says to them, nope, the sons of Abraham are by faith. Radically different, guys, than what they would have believed. Now the second statement that he says, sonship isn't by biology, but by faith. But here's the second statement. God's intention from the beginning has always been to save. And let me define that word. I'll use the word justify to 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 declare to be righteous, to bring into his kingdom. It has always been God's intention from the very beginning to save Jews and Gentiles. Jews and everyone else who's not a Jew. Even though God chose Israel, God created the nation of Israel. They were his special nation. He has always loved and desired the Gentiles. Verse 8, now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all nations will be blessed through you. So for most Jews, they thought Gentiles were not only not savable, that it would be impossible for God to save them, they thought they alone were the children of God. And and they thought that God only loved them. And Gentiles, they called them sinners. And they called them dogs. And, And they basically rejected the Gentiles. But Paul says, now listen, this is so radical for people, for the Jewish people. And and this is a Jew of Jews. I mean, Paul, what does he say about himself? Man, I I have everything going on for me Jewish. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisee, trained by Gamaliel. Or Gamaliel. I, I'm, I'm at the top of my game in Judaism. Now he's saying to them, listen, it is God's intention from the very beginning to justify the Gentiles. And we know that, he says, because God said to our father Abraham, all the nations, which would have been all the Gentile nations, the nations are the Gentiles, all the Gentiles will be blessed you. And so the implication Paul is making is that God has intended forever to bless the Gentiles through Abraham's descendants and more specifically through one descendant, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So he sums up his argument in verse 9 and he says, consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Everyone who has faith in God and his word, like Abraham, is blessed just like Abraham with imputed righteousness. Now I'm using a big word there, imputed. I use it a lot. I've defined it a lot. Let me do it again. Imputed means that God declares it to be so. God gives it to you. God puts it on you. It's not that you deserve it. He imputes it on you. He gives it to you. And he gives it to you, the scripture says, because of your faith. Not because of what you do, but because of your faith. His point is that God declares us righteous, makes us righteous. Here's Paul's point. 
Not because we keep the laws of the first covenant, but rather because God, we take God at his word. We believe the revelation of God. And when we believe the revelation of God, then, then he imputes right standing to us. He gives it to us. He fills it out and says, Jimmy's righteous. Because Jimmy's righteous? No. But because Jimmy believes God and God gives me righteousness. Paul, Paul didn't write the book of Hebrews. But there's one of my favorite quotes comes from that book now. It's without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think for the first time maybe in my adult life, I, I truly understand without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, Paul didn't write Hebrews, but this is the point that Paul is making. It is not keeping the first covenant, the first Sinai covenant that pleases, that's not what pleases God. It's your faith in God and your faith in Jesus in particular in this argument. It's your faith in Jesus that pleases the Lord. And that brings us to the third argument. And I'm going to try to tie all this together hopefully in a few minutes. But the third argument is from the curse of the law. So Paul now takes them to the law that they say, you got to keep the law. Got to keep the law to be right with God. You got to do the Sinai covenant. Verse 10, Paul says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. So Paul reminds them, okay guys, you're saying that it's Jesus plus the first covenant. Well, if you're saying that, here's what the first covenant says. If you don't keep it, you're under a curse. If you don't keep it, you're cursed. And he goes on to say this, basically, you cannot keep it, so you're cursed. If you're adding it back onto yourself, you're cursed. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, cursed is he who does not uh, put the words of the law into practice and let all the people say amen. Jeremiah eleven three. you must tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, cursed is the man uh, who does not obey the words of the covenant. Paul's point is the law is an all or nothing proposition. So follow, follow my logic, follow Paul's logic, okay? He's saying the law is an all or nothing proposition. If you're adding it back on yourself and you're saying the way to be right with God is to trust in Jesus and to keep the first covenant law, you can't do it. So you're cursed. You're bringing the curse back on yourself because you're guilty of that. James, the brother of Jesus, would agree with Paul. This is what he wrote in one of his letters. He says, for who, James 2.10, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. So if you break the law at any point, I wish, I wish James had used a smaller example. I mean, something not quite as, as we consider grievous as adultery and murder. But if we break the law at any point, we become a lawbreaker, he says. So Paul goes on with his argument. Look at verse 11. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Man, I asked for this water and I didn't even drink any of it. I guess it, it passed. So, uh, so here's, here's the point. Here's the point. Don't miss the point. He says, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Here's, here's what Paul's been saying. 
Righteousness never came, not by Abraham, not by any of the prophets, not by any, it never came by keeping the law. It came because you trusted what God said. You believed what God said. But the law is not based on faith, verse 12. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. The law and faith are two different things. And if you're going to try to live by the law, he says, you've got to live by it. But here's the point. You cannot do that. You cannot live by the law. Uh, he's, already, he's already said justification, being, being declared righteous. You have, to, you have to do the law perfectly for God to declare you righteous that way. Righteousness doesn't come that way. It comes by faith, always has. And then he says the law is not based on, they're not the same thing, they're two different things, and they have two different purposes. Now, we're going to talk more about this the next time we talk about this, which will be a couple of weeks, but Keith read it this morning. The purpose of the law was never that you and I might live it perfectly and thus be justified. That was never the purpose of it. We'll talk about that later. If you're living by the law to be righteous, you've got to live by all of it, but, but you cannot do that. If you live by faith to be righteous, you need to do that and not add, try to add the law to it. Now, maybe Paul isn't being as clear as he is in the book of Romans, but it is implied here. It is implied here. Here's what he says. No, here's what he says in the book of Romans. No one can live up to the law. There's none righteous, no, not one. In the book of Romans, Paul quotes the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off than the Gentiles? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Here's what Paul is saying. There is none righteous by keeping the laws of God. None. We all fall short. Whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, you fall short of the law. And if you fall short of the law, you're under the curse of the law. All right? So what is the curse of the law? I haven't even talked about that. What is it? Do you know what it is? What is the curse of the law? Here's what it is. The curse of the law is death. The curse of the law is death. Ezekiel 18.20 says the person who sins will die. The New Testament says the wages of sin is death. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of, of that tree, you shall die. And they ate of the tree, and God removed the tree of life, and they died. Paul says because Adam's sin... We all die, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Death comes to each of us because when Adam sinned, God removed the tree of life. And so we don't have access to it. And so because of Adam's sin, all of us die. Now let me interject something here because i got a lot of friends out there and we've had tons of conversations and I know death can be broader than this, but it's not any less than this. Death is death. It's what happens to all of us, right? It's what happens to all of us. And that's what he's talking about here, and I believe, in some ways. He's saying because of Adam, we all die because God removed the tree of life. Do you know when the tree of life comes back? Anybody know? Revelation chapter 21, when the, when the new heavens and the new earth is here, that's when the tree of life comes back, because that's when life comes back, immortality and no more death. Death comes to each of us because Adam sinned. God removed the tree of life, and you can't keep it from happening. 
all of us are going to die. All of us, all of us are going to die. We're mortal creatures. And Paul says here that it wasn't just Adam who sinned, but all, back in Romans now, all of us became sinners uh, because of Adam. Because of, well, because of Adam, there's something happens in our nature that all of us fall short of the laws of God. All of us become sinners. We, we didn't sin in the same likeness of Adam, but all of us become sinners in time. If we live long enough, all of us will fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Not a single one of us can go through life and, and not fall short of God's righteousness. So what hope do we have? And I, I wonder if you're tracking with me. I hope you are. What hope do we have? We've all sinned. We've all violated the laws of God. Every one of you. You've all violated the laws of God. What hope do you have when the curse of the law is death? What hope do you have? We're all going to die because of Adam, but we're also all going to die because of ourselves because all of, us, all of us fall short. We've all violated the law. Listen, and even people who don't have the laws of God, they violate the laws of God in their heart and they know it. So when Jim Elliott died, y'all remember Jim Elliott, some of you? Jim Elliott was a missionary to the, at the time they called them the Alka Indians. I think now they've determined they're the Modalone Indians. I believe that's right. Or another name. But anyway, the Indians killed Jim and Nate, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, three or four other men. And, and then Jim Elliott's wife, uh, Elizabeth Elliott, and Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, they were able to move in to that group of, of people in the Ecuadorian jungles, and they shared Jesus with them, and they led them to Jesus, and they became followers of Jesus, and they became friends, and, and one of the men that murdered Jim became like a grandfather to one of Jim's, uh, to Nate Saint's uh, sons, and probably even to Elizabeth Elliot's and Jim Elliot's daughter. I, I don't know about that, but here's my point. Here's my point. After they became believers, you know what they said? They said, we knew what we were doing was wrong. They had no Bible. They had, they had no written law from God. Where did it come from? It was imprinted on their hearts by God, their consciences. They knew what they were doing was wrong. So Galatians 3.13. I'm almost done, and then, then we're going to tie it all together. Galatians 3.13. Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Death. Messiah redeemed us from the death that the law demands by becoming a curse for us because it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Messiah Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith here's what Paul tells the Galatians he says you know who redeemed us from the curse of the law it was Jesus and the reason we know that, because your law, this law that everybody's telling you, you've got to go back and follow now in order for God to love you and save you and, and declare you to be righteous. If you, you know, that same law said anybody hung on a tree, they were cursed. Jesus hung on a tree, hung on a cross, a dead tree shaped into a cross, right? But Jesus hung on a, on a tree is Paul's argument. And, and by hanging on the tree, he became the curse of death for us. The one who didn't deserve it became the curse of death for us. And, and the purpose of that was so that the blessing of Abraham, righteousness by faith, would come to the Gentiles by Messiah Jesus. And by extension, come to the Jews too, right? He's, I think that's implied. So that we all could receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith.
Messiah Jesus redeemed us and rescued us from death. He, Messiah redeemed us from the curse, death of the law, by becoming a curse, he becoming death for us. He rescued us by dying on the cross. In the Old Testament, it says that everyone, well, I already told you all that. Um, the purpose of Messiah's uh, death was to make a way for all men everywhere from Adam to Abraham, to the Gentiles, to you and me today. The purpose of Messiah's death was to remove the curse so that all of us could be declared righteous by God through faith and give us the gift of his spirit to live within us, to be with us, to lead us, to empower us, to strengthen us. So here is what Messiah Jesus did. In Adam, all men died. Now, now follow me. In Adam, all men died. The good, the bad, the young, the old, the Jew, the Gentile. But then at the return of Jesus, the Bible says that all men will be resurrected back to life. I know we parse out the resurrections, but if you would just treat it as a whole. Jesus, when he comes back, all men will be resurrected from death to life. And the purpose will be of that resurrection, the Bible says, to stand in judgment before God. So picture this for a moment. Every single person who's ever lived on every continent, in every age, who's been buried in every spot on the planet, whether they've been buried or cremated or whatever, every single person, the Bible says, is going to be resurrected back to life. And they're going to be resurrected back to life for one purpose, and that is to stand in judgment before God. Now, at that judgment, the Bible says that the righteous, not the people who have kept the law perfectly, but those who have placed their faith in God and in the Lord Jesus, at that judgment, not by merit of their own, but by merit of Jesus, God will credit their faith to them as righteousness, and the death of Jesus will remove the curse of the law that's been on them. And God's going to give them eternal life. At that judgment, everyone that he resurrects who's walked in faith, he, will be, he or she will be made immortal, and they shall never die again. Listen, folks, we ought to be out there offering immortality to people because that is what Jesus came to give us, eternal life, immortality with him. Boy, doesn't that sound so fantastical? Yeah, thank you, Russell. Does sound fantastical, doesn't it? I guess that's why maybe we're, maybe why we don't share as much because we don't want to be seen as weird and 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 offering fantastical things, right? I mean, there's only one person at this point who's been resurrected from the dead and has immortality, and that would be Jesus, right? So maybe that's the reason why. I don't know, but this is fantastical. But this is what God promises at this point. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. When God says in the Old Testament, and then through Paul later in Romans, that there are none righteous, he does not mean that no one is righteous. <laughs> Let that sink in. All right. When God says in the Old Testament, there is none righteous, no, not one. And, and, and he does not mean 
that there are no righteous people. Here's what he means. He means that no one, no one in any generation has ever or ever will be declared righteous because they keep the laws of God. There's not one. No, not one, right? But God has declared many people throughout the ages righteous. He declared that Abraham was righteous. He declared that Noah was righteous. He declared that Melchizedek was righteous. And I could could name more. Enoch. He declared Enoch as righteous. There have been lots of men and women who have been righteous throughout the generations. But they've not been righteous because they've kept the laws of God. You tell me, why have they been righteous? By faith, because they put their faith in what God had said to them. So they're righteous by faith. When God says there's none righteous, he means there's no one who's righteous by keeping God's righteous commandments. He means we're made righteous by faith. So on that final day of judgment, when God has resurrected every man, woman, and child to life again, to stand before him, those who have suppressed the truth, Romans chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, those who have suppressed the truth, then the curse of the law will be on them because they are not righteous by faith. They've been seeking to make their own righteousness by their life. And they will experience what God calls their second death. Having died the death of Adam, because we're all going to die the death of Adam, they will now die again. And this time they're not going to die for Adam's sin. They're going to die for their own sin. And this death, beloved, will be eternal forever. They will never live again. And again, we as Christians parse that out and we define it different. But that's what the scripture says. The curse of the law is that if we don't live up to it, it, we shall be destroyed. We shall perish. We shall be cut off from the life of God forever and ever and ever. That's what the scripture says. Again, we parse those words to mean different things. But that's what the scripture says. We shall be destroyed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. Foolish Galatians from your own experience and from the experience of Abraham and from what the law that you seek to put back on yourselves, from what it itself says, why would you look back? Why would you look back when Jesus has, when God has done this new thing in Jesus and you must put your faith in? Why would you not want to live by faith and continue by the Spirit that He gave you with miracles and signs when you believed, not when you started obeying the the Jewish first covenant? Now, as I said last week, every one of you in our family is Gentile, non Jewish except for maybe one of you. I'm not, for sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I think there's one of us in our family that is a descendant of Abraham and, uh, and Jacob and, and his family. So we're, we're mostly Gentile here. And so, but even for uh, our, our brother, oh, I should have said that, brother or sister, uh, who's of Jewish origin, right? Um, I doubt even he thinks that he needs to go back and put the first covenant on, right? It's just not on our radar, Right? We just don't think about that at all, right? That, that it's Jesus plus us submitting ourselves under the first covenant. None of us think that way. It's not on our radar. Why? Because Paul would stand up to Peter. 
Because Paul would make it really clear that it's by Jesus in this new covenant, this new wineskins, this new piece of cloth that God is forming, this raising up the, the first covenant out of the ashes. And what does James say at that in, in Acts 15? He says he's going to create this new thing that Gentiles are going to be a part of. And, and so none of us have that on our, on our radar because of Paul. But before I, before I finish this and move on to the, to the closing, Put yourself back there. Pretend you're all Jewish. You've all believed that righteousness came by, let's just say you believed it was by faith, keeping the first covenant, right? The faithfulness to God. Faith in God meant you, you keep the Sabbath. You keep it on Saturday. You keep it a certain way. You eat certain dietary things. You get circumcised. You, you don't cut your hair. You don't get tattoos. And I mean, those are just some of the things that have stood out over the years. So you, you do all of that, right? Because that's what loving God and faithfulness to God looks like. Now imagine Paul standing up and saying, no, that's been done away with now. It's not, it's not, you don't have to do that anymore. You, the, to be faithful to God and to trust God is to believe in Jesus now. To believe that the Jewish Messiah died for you so that you are saved by him, not by submitting to the, the covenant has become obsolete. It's been done away with. You don't have to live under it anymore, even if you're Jewish. Imagine how hard that was. That's what, that's what the book of Galatians is for us. It doesn't mean that much to us in a sense because we're not Jewish and because we're not living under that weight. But they would have been, and this would have been hard for them to receive. So real quickly, let me just give you three lessons for us today from this. Because we're two, two millennia removed, is there anything for us in here? Absolutely there is. So here's the first thing, and it's the main thing. It'll be the longest. Our relationship with God, first, our relationship with God is based on faith, not performance. Our relationship with God is based on our trusting him, not based on our doing what he wants us to do. Now, um, the Bible is pretty clear. Faith is why God accepts us, forgives us, justifies us, not our performance. I think all of us understand that and know that. But here's where it gets a little bit difficult. What is faith? What is faith? Now, I said two weeks ago, remember I put the stool out here, and I said two weeks ago, faith is not simply believing certain propositional things about Jesus. What I mean by that, it's not just believing certain statements about Jesus. And I stand by that wholeheartedly. That is not what faith is. But now as I try to answer what faith is, some of you are going to find it, I'm punting, you're going to say I'm punting, you're going to find it unsatisfying, but I'm going to, here it goes. Here, faith is trusting what God says about himself and about us. That's what faith is. It's trusting, believing what God says about himself and what he says about us. And inculcated in that, that means to be encapsulated in that, is that we love him and that we seek him. It's believing that I can't measure up. So I I'm reading my notes because I want to be clear. It's believing that I can't measure up so I don't try to measure up. But because I love him by faith, I believe him, I trust him, I have put my faith in him, I do my best to walk by the Spirit and listen to his voice and do what he wants me to do. Not to earn his love, but because of my faith, because I've received his love. And by faith, I want to love him back. 
So I know that's unsatisfying, but because it's like we, we, want, we want faith to be really just really clear. And I don't know how to make it clear. I do know this. Faith is not believing certain facts about Jesus. I stake my life on that. But how to define exactly what faith is, it's harder. It's believing God. It's when he speaks to your heart. When you hear the truth, it's believing him. But it's believing him so that we love him. And it's believing him so that we follow him. It's believing him so that he becomes our all. And, that's, and it's not performance. And yet those things, they, they, they kind of get, they unfortunately get kind of tangled together, don't they? Our performance and our faith. They get tangled together. You know, when I keep telling you that God doesn't, God has done away with the first covenant, now some of you are going to object to this, but that would include the Decalogue. That would include the Decalogue. The Decalogue meaning the Ten Commandments that God gave Israel. Now, now before, you, before you write me off as just off the reservation, I'm, we, we operate by the Spirit. And what I mean by that is the Spirit is... There is no way the Spirit, because all of the Decalogue is repeated in the New Testament, other than the Sabbath. In fact, we're told the Sabbath, rather about the Sabbath, we're told that how you keep the Sabbath is not something to divide over. And in Hebrews, it says that the Sabbath rest is something even different than, than the Saturday rest that we read about in the New Testament. But I kind of lost my train of thought. Help me get it back, Lord. Um, oh, what was I? Oh, about the Decalogue. So it's not, that, it's not that the heart of God isn't for us to, to still maybe keep the Decalogue, but it's going to come by the leading of the Spirit in us. It's why those Indians in the, in the jungles of Ecuador knew that murder was wrong. But we have now not just our conscience, God gives us His Spirit within us to lead us. We were talking about it in a prayer meeting this morning, and, and, and we were talking about, well, how do we know if the Spirit is leading us? How do we know something is of the Spirit? And I love Jill's answer. I hadn't thought of it. She said it. She said, because the Spirit will always lead us in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, uh, I'm forgetting something. But anyway, my, her point, my point this morning is that murder is, is, is unloving, right? Murder is, God the Spirit's going to lead us. So I'm not dismissing the Decalogue as not being from the heart of God and not being how the Spirit would lead us. But I am saying that it's not, it's, it's, it's not the written code of the first covenant, it's the Spirit of God working in us. Is he going to contradict his word? He's not going to contradict his word. But the covenant is what has, is, I believe Paul is saying, there's a new covenant now. And the new covenant is in my son. And the new covenant is, is the gift of the Spirit that comes with the new covenant. Boy, I'm sure going to hear back from that. <laughs> Just give me, give me a little bit of grace. I'm still trying to work through it. But I still believe I'm right there. I think the Spirit leads us. The Decalogue, it's not the Decalogue, it's the Spirit of God within us that'll lead us to keep the Decalogue. He's the one that's going to tell us, not, not because it's written down, but He's going to tell us that. Real quick, second, and these are just some of kind of mentioned. Second, this is the way it's always been. I've made this statement over and over and over again. You have never been declared righteous before God by anything other than faith. So Adam was declared righteous by God if he was, and Eve by faith. 
Abraham by faith, Enoch by faith, Melchizedek by faith. And I mean, even the guys you don't know, Elijah, Elisha, all of them, they've all been declared righteous by God because of their faith, not their performance. Now, did they want to love God and obey the, the, for those that were under the first covenant, did they want to obey that? Sure they did, right? Those who weren't under the first covenant pre, pre Sinai, did, did they, did they want to obey God and follow God's voice? Yes, they did, but they weren't declared righteous because they did. They were declared righteous because they believed God and trusted the God who spoke to them. So righteousness has always been by faith. Don't ever, 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 ever forget that. It's always, always, always been by faith. Now, real quickly, let me just say this. The Old Testament guy who dies in faith, trusting Melchizedek, uh, Enoch, any of them, they will be declared righteous on the day of judgment because Jesus died for them. You say, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus died thousands of years after some of them. Yeah, the Bible says that, that God was looking to that event for the forgiveness of all of us, Old Testament and New Testament. You with me? So Jesus, so Jesus died for them and for us, and his death will be applied to their life, whether they understood Jesus or not. And I think most of them didn't. The only one that I would think maybe did was Abraham, because the Bible says that Abraham understood something about Messiah that maybe the rest of them didn't. But most of the prophets, I think it was Peter that said, most of the prophets didn't even understand what they were writing. They were writing for us. They were writing for you and me. And finally, last thing, your eternity rests on not looking back. That's what Paul says. And again, I'm not trying to get into the debate about save loss. I'm not trying to get into that debate. I'm simply saying, he says to them, did you experience Jesus for nothing? And my thought is, don't look back. Don't look back because maybe all eternity rests on staying connected in faith to Jesus. So don't look back. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Love him. Follow him. Serve him. Obey him. And listen to his spirit. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.